Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today we're joined by a very, very special guest, Mr. Tim Boychuk. Tim, how's it going today? Absolutely awesome, and uh, I feel a bit awkward about being introduced as very, very special though. <laughs> you, you get used to it, you get used to it. Uh, it, it, takes, it takes some time, uh, especially my first time too. Um, well, Tim, I'm, I'm glad to have you on this episode. Uh, I'm excited for the topic that we are going to uh, discuss, and uh, we will have you introduce yourself in just one minute. I do want to make a couple of announcements, and then we'll get to that right away. Um, so for you listeners out there, thank you guys for tuning back in. Thank you for tuning in uh, to one of the f- first few episodes we have for season two. I appreciate you guys so much and all that you've done. Uh, just a couple of the standard announcements. You can follow us on our Instagram for any and all updates. That is at the Potter's House. Um, you can also listen to us uh, on a variety of different streaming platforms, most notably Apple Podcast and Spotify. If you do have an iPhone and you do use Apple Podcasts, please go to the app, go to the podcast show, tap it, scroll all the way down, tap the stars, and leave a written review. It really helps the exposure of the show, and if you leave a written review, I will also read that out loud on uh, the next episode. Uh, So for those of you who have already done that, thank you so much, and I encourage you, for those of you who haven't, to do that as well. Uh, Last but not least, as I've mentioned these last couple of episodes, our website has officially dropped as of uh, August of 2021. Uh, That website link can be found in our Instagram bio. Uh, Also, you can just go directly to the website. It's www.thepottershouse.com. And if you're still interested in um, getting merch, if you're still interested in the long sleeve, uh, where proceeds and profits will go directly to Treasures for Troubles uh, mission organization for their upcoming mission trip, please go to the website, scroll down, click on the link, and then you'll be able to order there, uh, whether you're local or whether you're from out of state, it does not matter. You'll be able to do that all through and exclusively through the website. So thank you guys so much for your support until now. I appreciate you guys so much, and I appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, not only just generally speaking, but for this episode specifically, because it's going to be quite inter- interesting. So um, so back to Tim. Tim. Uh, for those people out there who uh, don't know you, uh, why don't you just uh, introduce yourself so they can get to know you a little better? Sure. That's uh, the people who don't know me. That's pretty much everyone. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, as Marcus said, um, my name is Timothy Boychuk, and our Boychuk, if I were to uh, put it in Romanian uh, accent there. Um, I am, wait, how old am I? 25. I am 25 years old. <laughs> um currently married to my wonderful wife, Larissa, uh, married as of August 2019, thankfully right before that pandemic hit. Um, right now we're expecting a little boy to come oh, along the way, so congrats, praise man. the Lord for that. <laughs> um, I'm just hoping they're going to let me in the hospital when uh, she gives birth with all the stupid vaccination stuff. Anyways, uh, <laughs> not to digress, but yes. My name is Timothy Boychuk, and um, this topic that we're speaking on about uh, Calvinism has been something I've been looking a bit more into for the past four to five years. And uh, I feel like this will be a really beneficial topic or discussion. I'm definitely not an expert, definitely not a scholar, definitely not a theologian, definitely not anything like that. I am a Christian, (laughs) and I hope to follow Christ. And if I can kind of just give a bit of a... um, a disclaimer before we start, Marcus, is um, I'd like to point to, I think, I believe it's Romans 14, verse 1, where Paul warns us to not make such a big issue over doubtful things, especially to those who are weak in the faith or those who are not as mature or, you know, starting out in the faith. Um, the good con- a good context for that, I believe, would be 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But um, my my main thing here is to do all things for Christ and all glory to Christ. Um, I... I I love my Calvinist brothers, and I hope they love me, and that's about it. <laughs> well, thank you for that, uh, Tim, and uh, as you mentioned, we are talking about Calvinism today, and because you made a disclaimer, I will make one myself as well. <laughs> um, so, guys, listeners out there, I understand that this is kind of a touchy subject, especially because there's uh, this sort of disparity between 
the more charismatic circles and then the more reform circles. Uh, now, before we start this episode and I start providing my input uh, and challenges or whatever, I do want to state my position so you guys don't make assumptions based off of my answers and responses. So I myself, are, I'm somewhere in the middle in between uh, both circles. Obviously, um, you know, we grew up Romanian Pentecostal and we have that kind of background. But at the same time, I do appreciate the... I do appreciate Reformed theology. I like that they're getting back to the Bible and and, and focusing on the Word of God uh, and putting more emphasis on that than experiences because the Word of God is it is true, it is eternal, it is without blemish. Amen. And our, and our Amen. experiences can be um, other ways influenced, you know. So I am somewhere in the middle. I do like some of the points uh, that Calvinists kind of reflect and uh, argue. I do. I do agree with some of them. I don't agree with all of them. Uh, some of them, I just I can't really commit to. Uh, but I am somewhere in the middle, as most of us are. You know, it's a spectrum. It's not like a two different extremes. So uh, I didn't want to say that before we kind of get into it, because uh, I know <laughs> yeah, once we hit yeah, yeah. once we hit, once we hit the tulip, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have certain opinions on 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 different, you know, the, the five different points. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. But but Tim, as we get started, uh, I know. And I kind of like I kind of like mentioned this earlier, but whenever our community hears about or hears the word Calvinism or Calvinist, mm -hmm. at least mm -hmm. me growing up, I would say maybe within the last five, 10 years, it's become more popular in the remaining community. But before then, whenever we heard Calvinism, it was like this uh, ha has a negative connotation. It was like a like a scandalous kind of word that you yeah. would say. And if you were, if you were ever to identify that way. You would be like ostracized from our community. Yep. So, yeah. Um, and and you're you're gonna you're gonna do this just just right uh, in a few seconds now. But um, why don't we just go back to the beginning? Why don't we discuss the origins uh, of of where this came to me? Obviously, we're gonna talk about John Calvin himself. Uh, mm -hmm. But why don't you bring us bring us back to the beginning? Talk about it. How it came to be. How how it kind of stemmed from. Obviously, there was the Catholic Church that was in power at the time. Uh, but why don't you why don't you take us back to the beginning, Tim? Yeah, yeah, no, and and I totally agree with you. Um, it, it's funny because like bo on both sides, you know, Calvinists they'll hear the word charismatic or Pentecostal, and to them that's like a cuss word. Like you can't, yeah, <laughs> you know, you, you do not associate with those. And it's funny because I, I was telling Marcus previously that uh, major influences in my life in my Christian walk were Calvinists, um, such as Paul Washer, Bodie Bauckham, John Piper, um, John MacArthur, Sam Storms, and um, I love them. I love them. It, it, so greatly, and I appreciate the way that God used them in my life um, and in my journey. Um, I, I started out with Calvinist leanings. Um, I started out with Calvinist thoughts. Um, but uh, as I progressed um, more and more, I, I feel like I understand that I do not need to adopt certain perspectives that Calvinists hold to. And namely, we'll, we'll see those later on. But on the, hit, <laughs> the history of Calvinism, Definitely not a historical expert here. Actually, I focus more, more on Augustine, uh, not so much John Calvin or Martin Luther or the Reformers. Um, I mostly focus on Augustine because uh, in the research I've done, um, I, I found that a lot of um, the work of John Calvin or the, 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 the belief of John Calvin stems from Augustine, St. Augustine of Hippo, or um, as he's otherwise known. Um, and uh, Augustine, he was born in... Uh, 354 or 354 and he died in 430 so he lived around the fourth to the fifth century he was born to pagan roman parents and um he began a career as a pagan teacher of rhetoric or you know debate logic you know the the, the art of speaking and uh in milan he adopted the study of neoplatonism which is um it's it, it's a teaching that kind of uh reject it's a teaching that kind of morphs from different types of teachings and, and it rejects the idea that humans retained the imago dei and that uh, it teaches a lot that uh, humans are, are kind of uh, physical matter that is corrupted um and 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 everything that is physical is evil corrupted and all these things and the immaterial soul is the only pure thing and that's being corrupted by the physical and um it it, it talks about how uh free choice um must be restored by a divine infusion of, of God or the, the divine or the existence of God. 
and that for man to be able to choose things, God has to infuse him with the ability to choose. Anyways, he got into a lot of his teaching and other teachings, such as uh, um, the Stoic philosophy, um, Gnosticism, and other teaching. But also when he was in Milan, he found a school that taught the teachings of Christianity with other Greek philosophy. They kind of... Um, um, there was a school there that taught Greek philosophy, but with a Christian leaning, and he was baptized into Christianity by Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, in 386. Um, Augustine, originally, he actually taught the traditional theology um, of majority of Christians that, well, a very uh, understood view of uh, Christianity by a lot of Christians of, you know, free will and God uh, saving people based upon their response to the gospel. And uh, that God's election was through his foreknowledge of those who would believe. Um, he taught this for 25 years until 412 CE. And there was, and in his works, in the works that Augustine wrote, um, there's a lot of books that he wrote. This guy was massive theologian, and a lot of Christian thought or Western Christian thought is very much based on what he wrote. But um, you start seeing signs of his, of, of his. Differing thoughts in his works, starting from um, 395 in a book, a book called De Libero Arbitrio, which is Latin for on free will. And what is weird is that in this book, he would write, um, according to what he's been uh, teaching the whole time, uh, how he believed on the free will of man. But all of a sudden, in the middle, he had this weird, just complete distortion and, and change in direction of his theology and starts writing contrary to what he wrote before, and then abruptly that ends, and he starts teaching again how he was teaching at the start of the book. So some scholars believe that uh, what Augustine actually happened to do, and he did this with another book, um, which was uh, called A Letter to Bishop Simpli I can't pronounce it, Simplici Simplicianus. And uh, so what they think he did is he actually went back to his uh, previous works that he wrote when he, when he was in the free will camp, if I can put it that way, and he altered some of his books. Um, and um, revised it, but his uh, full-on change towards his more, um, if I could put Calvinistic theology, as we now know it, um, didn't happen until kind of more around 411 to 412. Um, it, it, it's really interesting because there's a consistent pattern of seeing how his works um, taught the same thing about free will. A book I can recommend uh, on it is uh, by Ken Wilson. It's called The Foundations of Augustinian Calvinism. Um, that book is a bit more condensed version of a, a lot larger work of his. That was his doctoral thesis on this, actually. Um, but it's a, it's a helpful book. And around in the year uh, 410, Rome actually fell to the Vandals. And this could have possibly influ influenced part of Augustine's reversion to his Stoic, Gnostic, Neoplatonic, and Manichaean roots. Um, if we have time later, we can get into what those philosophies specifically taught. But they, they taught some very... Um, uh, similar ideas as to, to Calvinism in terms of predestination, individual predestination, the damnation of man, the inherited original guilt, inherited uh, sin of man, um, and uh, other such things such as uh, election or the uh, predestination of God as understood by Calvinists. And um, so around that time also when Rome fell, uh, Augustine got into a massive debate with these people, uh, with this person called Pelagius. Um, from what Augustine was writing, he was uh, writing, uh, what he wrote was, he was accusing of Pel uh, Pelagius as teaching a sort of theology, which I also disagree with, a sort of theology that um, allegedly he said that Pelagian, uh, Pelagius taught that um, uh, salvation, man can come to salvation of his own will, that man is inherently good, that man has the ability to find God by himself, and he doesn't need the revelation of God necessarily, but that, you know, man through his free will and his good nature could uh, potentially save himself. Um, and to this day, um, a lot of the times, uh, I don't know if you ever heard of this uh, yourself, Marcus, but Calvinists would use the accusation of Pelagian or semi-Pelagian to anyone who uh, opposes uh, their view of Calvinism. Um, and it's a pretty serious label. It's, it's often you know, associated with heretic even though majority of anyone on the other side doesn't agree with that type of theology, nobody believes that man is inherently good and can save himself of his own ability. Um, have you ever heard of those accusations? I'm just curious. 
I, I have not. And uh, because okay. I've not been called that, I think I'm in good standing. So <laughs> that's a good sign. Yeah. yeah. I, have, I haven't been called that either. <laughs> um, probably because I'm, I'm pretty careful to kind of, uh, from the outset, just let people know that that's not what I believe. <laughs> um, anyway, so, but a very large part of this controversy with the Pelagian issue was actually part of infant baptism. Because, um, and, and it's funny because what we know, what people normally think that Pelagius actually taught is actually what Cal, um, Augustine said he taught. So we don't actually know if that's what Pelagius really believed, because as you know, in debates, you know, usually the person who's seen as the winner or whatever gets to kind of write the history of that debate and say what the other person um, taught. But, um, but one thing that we do know is a very large part of this controversy was uh, about infant baptism, which Augustine was a pretty large supporter of, and especially during that time. And in the wider debate, Augustine was forced to defend infant baptism as a necessity for forgiveness of sins um, and receiving the Holy Spirit. However, he kind of ran into an issue because some infants died before being baptized. So logically, this meant that infants died damned if without the necessity of baptism for salvation. Um, so Augustinian theology believes that baptism is a necessity for salvation. And since these babes have no control of being able to be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit, this must mean that God unilaterally and unconditionally predetermines which infants are damned and which are sacrificed. And since these infants have no actual sin, Augustine then uh, logically decided that their guilt must be inherited from Adam's first sin. So this brought the introduction of original guilt. And so far, we have the two points of key total inability and you unconditional election. This uh, was brought about by his belief in the salvific power of water, water baptism and um, part of his stoic philosophy that he was taught in previously. Augustine even admitted in his writings that he used to doubt the condemnation of infants uh, not baptized and never had the occasion to examine these things more closely. And then he kind of gave the credit to this whole issue with Pelagius that he finally examined these a bit more and established his theology and what we're uh, talking about today. And in order to incorporate like a form of free will, Augustine taught that God would um, so micromanage and manipulate the surrounding circumstances that a person would be unable uh, to not freely respond positively to the gospel. But even before that, God would have to regenerate and gift faith before the person freely responded. And uh, this is what we later learn as to be the irresistible grace of it. And then further on, he gets into the, the, the fact that, well, if God has chosen someone, um, if he has chosen a babe, because um, he ran into the issue of some babes that were baptized as, 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 as infants, later on in life, they turned away and rejected God and they became heretics. They, they, uh, you know, they became anathema, the curse of the church. And then he, he therefore concluded, well, then there must be a second impartation of grace that God gives um, to people in order to cause them to persevere in their faith. So there's that impartation of grace where, you know, he irresistibly graced them or elected them. And then there must be a second impartation of grace to cause them to persevere. And then we have the perseverance of the saints. Um, I was going to get into something else there, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of skip past it. Um, and, and Augustine, a quote from, uh, from Augustine himself, he said, In the solution of this question, I struggle in behalf of free, free choice of the will, but the grace of God won out. And that's the interesting thing, the dichotomy that Augustine presented, and I feel like a lot of Calvinists do these days too, where it, they, seem, they seem to think that it is a battle between free will and the grace of God. Which one's going to win, you know, out of these two different opposing views? In fact, uh, uh, a lot of Calvinists like to affectionately call their doctrine the, the doctrines of grace. And I'm kind of puzzled at that because I'm like, we, well, we all believe in the grace of God that we're saved only by the grace of God. It's just that we don't believe that the grace of God is irresistible. Um, and there's a lot of assumption on the a Calvinist uh, part about that. Um, did you want to jump in on anything? Marcus, sorry, I'm kind of rambling here. No, 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 you're good. I, I think it's yeah. it's really interesting how how we see like, like the progression of people's theology oh, yeah. even like hundreds of years ago and how they're impacted by by certain things and um, and how limited their understanding was, right? Because so, so we're right, as of right now, we're like in 1400, early 1400s, um, or at least when the, the, when you started at the beginning. And mm -hmm. uh, this is this was at the time where the Bible was, I mean, at least in, in most parts of Europe, was only accessible in Latin, you know, with the Catholic Church. 
this was before, like I think it was early 1500s when uh, uh, the King James yeah. version was was initially yeah. um, translated. So it's it's crazy how like how such few people had had a great impact on people's beliefs and theologies mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. And and like if we're if we're talking about um, the whole you know it's required baptism is required for salvation uh, like an infant and and all the infants who died before their their water baptism were damned. Like, imagine how many people believe that um, yeah, at that time, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially back then oh, when boy. like, and, and, you know, as a medical professional, how, like the, how bad medical practice was or yeah. how, how yeah. insufficient things were. And then there were, there were a lot of like, uh, you know, deaths, de- uh, pre- yeah. faulty pregnancies and all that. So um, it's, it's crazy to see how, how, how uh, we see that influence. Um, yeah, and it- yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, because that, that, that was one of the like, main catalysts for, for Augustine developing this, because like, like I said, like when he, when he was confronted with the fact that, you know, a lot of infants that were born sick and they were being rushed to the baptismal waters, but then they, they died right before they're baptized. And he's like, well, uh, they're not saved. And this was of no fault of their own. They didn't commit any sins. So uh, if they're not saved without being baptized, and then what are they being condemned of? of? And then he's like, well, Adam sinned, because <laughs> we all uh, died in Adam in that sense. And then he hyper um, interpreted that to mean that we all inherited Adam's guilt. Um, and we're all dying of this sin uh, that is trans- transmitted through Adam. So yeah, you're definitely right. It, 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 there was a very, very limited access to the knowledge. It was only limited to the academics of that time who had access to all the, you know, the, the writings and the copies and, and a lot of the books or the theologies that that we read of theirs were letters written in response to one another. And uh, really interesting about that. Um, but uh, would you like, uh, do you want me to continue in the- Yeah, the go for of? it. All right. So fast forwarding um, to uh, 1483, Martin Luther was born. Um, he was uh, an Augustinian monk. Well, actually first, in, <laughs> he first intended to become a lawyer and then uh, because of some occurrences in his life, he later um, decided to become a monk. And he was preoccupied with the question of, you know, how how can I uh, ensure my salvation? You know, what can I do? And at that time, the, Calvin, the Catholic Church was very, very influenced by a works-based salvation and the sacraments that you have to, you know, follow all these sacraments. And Calvin, <laughs> uh, I mean, sorry, Luther, in his trip to Rome, saw a bunch of things that was happening. And I think in one of his books, he was talking about something like, you know, there's um, there's like uh, three different cro- apparent crosses of Christ that he was crucified. There's there's like twenty something different nails with which he was nailed, and like he was talking about these so many artifacts and relics that you have to kiss, and then each time you do these sacraments and all these things, you know, it lessens your time in purgatory. And he was preoccupied with this until he came across Augustine's uh, writings, specifically on the grace of God, um, which a lot of what Augustine wrote with fabulous and a lot of our western theology is based upon it and um the grace of god and salvation by grace and and this is what kind of sparked a lot of his his uh, uh reformation movement in the 99 theses but anyways in one of his greatest books that he wrote after he split with the catholic church um his book that uh, he, he called one of his greatest works it was called on the bondage of the will it was in response to another man called erasmus of rotterdam's and erasmus wrote a book called free will and Luther accepted the Augustinian view um, of total inability. Um, and Luther, in his dispute with the Catholic, uh, Catholics, went on to so emphasize salvation, absent of human works, um, that he, he even at one point had a conflict with the book of James. And he, he, he supported the idea of excluding the book of James from the canon of Scripture, because James um, so much highlighted that you know, it's impossible to have faith without uh, 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 the fruit of faith being the work, you know, it's impossible to have faith without the evidence of the sanctification that God produces. in you. Yeah. Faith without works and, is dead. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And uh, so yeah, he even had a, such an issue with that, that he wanted to exclude it. And he emphasized the Augustinian view of faith, of being uh, um, um, a work or a meritorious. Um, it, so he so emphasized God's grace that he even went to the point of saying that, you know, you know, even faith is a work in meritorious, you know, God has to elect by his grace and not even faith merits salvation, which funny enough, I would agree with that, but we'll nuance that later. John Calvin, also an important figure in the, you know, Protestant Reformation, famous for his work, such as the Institutes of Christian Religion, 
John Calvin was also very, very heavily influenced by Sto um, Stoicism, uh, same as Augustine. Um, and he seemed to accept the Stoic definition or perspective on the word sovereignty, and we'll discuss the nuance of that later. Um, and then he kind of adopts um, uh, Augustine's five central points um, of Tulip that he developed. And um, it, it's kind of, he didn't, uh, Calvin didn't coin Tulip, you know, the acronym. Um, the earliest record we have in that uh, possibly is Lorraine Botner's book in uh, Reformed Doctrine and Predestination, 1932. Um, and it, it possibly could have even came earlier than that. And it, it might've been used as a form of mockery by people who weren't Calvinists. They mocked the Calvinists saying like, oh, your flowery theology, you know, your theology of flowers. Um, but John Calvin was so, um, how do I put it, such a massive admirer of Augustine that he, he's quoted to have said, Augustine is so holy within me that I could write my entire theology out of his writings. Um, and he wrote that in a treatise on the eternal predestinations of God. So uh, a lot of Calvinism, we can, we can find out that it was really much rooted in Augustinian theology and the influence that Augustine had, had in his life from his pre-Christian philosophies that he had adopted. Um, and then like further people that kind of influenced Calvinism was John Gill. And the reason I brought John Gill up, he lived from 1697 to 1771. He's a Baptist pastor. And what he did is he tried to prove that Calvinism was um, um, very much rooted in the early church doctrine. And he took the writings of early church fathers pre-Augustine and took um, verses or took quotes from that, those, uh, those writings Anything that pretty much had like, you know, Calvinist trigger words like sovereignty, elect, predestination. And he assumed that what those people meant through those words are the same definitions that Calvinists have for sovereignty, elect, and predestination. And a lot of Calvinists these days use John Gill's like list of, you know, church fathers that support um, uh, Calvinistic theology. Um, but yeah, um, I don't really want to go too much more than that because I already talked a lot um, on that historical aspect. Do you have any uh, thoughts? I do. I do have a question. So you mentioned that, so, so right, like uh, John Calvin kind of developed this. It kind of started with him. That's why the uh, the name is attributed to him. Yeah, um, but he's did popularized, mention, yeah. Yeah, he's popularized. But you did mention that, like, for example, the first mention of the tulip like divided in those different components were in a book in 1932. And then you mentioned John Gill. Um, how much of modern day Calvinism was influenced by uh, people coming, you know, people in, in, in church authority coming after John Calvin, how much was it influenced by them kind of refining the base that Calvin set or, or set and how much uh, is it like truly original from John Calvin's works? That, that is an awesome question. And it, it's very good to clarify that actually, because, um, Calvinism by no means is a monolithic group. It's not just like one flavor of Calvinism. You know, with everything in life, with every philosophy, with every doctrine, there are multiple views on it. Um, and uh, I highly, highly doubt that everyone in the audience would agree with everything that John Calvin said. Um, I wouldn't be able to give an educate, fully educated um, uh, answer on how much was influenced by whom and what or how, because obviously I'm not a scholar nor a historian, but I would say that you are right that um, a lot of people took John Calvin's writings and further developed them later on. Um, the term or the name Calvinist or the title is only still used because it's very easy to identify, you know, um, kind of where you stand in the, in the, in the, in the different flavors of theology, if I can put it that way. Same as we would see how Pentecostal, charismatic, or whatever. Actually, another thing I'd like to point out, there are some very, very strong Reformed theologians that are charismatic or Pentecostal also. Sam Storms is one of them. Um, very highly respected by prominent Calvinists. Even John Piper said that, like, you know, he's one of the men that he respects the most. And Sam Storms is one of the most ardent supporters of the spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecy, and all those um, uh, different spiritual gifts, casting out of demons and all this stuff. And he's also very strong within the um, Reformed theology camp. Um, I have some of his books, actually. Heavenly Language is one of them, and The Spiritual Guide. I mean, The Guide to Spiritual Gifts or something like that. Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. Um, highly would recommend his work on um, The Spiritual Gifts. Very interesting stuff. Yeah, sounds like my kind of guy. That's that's like yeah, yeah. Shit, I feel like. <laughs> Take the best of go. both worlds, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
All right. So, so we talked about a little bit about how it came to be, and um, obviously there was a there was a big, I would say, like a allotment of time between Calvin's time and, and today, and there were, there were influences along the way. Um, one of which you've, we've mentioned a couple of times so far in this episode is the uh, tulip, right? Now, yeah. tulip obviously is not we're not just referring to the flower, but we're referring we're referring to the acronym that kind of yeah. spells out the components that or the pillars of Calvinism that uh, kind of hold the doctrine together, hold it up. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you wanted to, if there's any direction you wanted to take it or if you wanted to explain it generally before we get into the different parts, but I'll let you take the lead on this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I'll kind of just give a quick run through um, what the acronym stands for, um, each each letter, just a quick, you know, definition provided by and I, I tried i really tried to to get all my definitions from uh, reputable calvinist sources one of the main ones i leaned on is the gospel coalition um which has a lot of prominent members like john piper sam storms and others um i also try to use desiringgod.org from uh john piper's organization and uh um the alpha and omega ministries from james white mm-hmm. um and other people's um which funny enough i love all of them <laughs> looking here um, all those guys yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> Um, so the TULIP, the acronym TULIP, it's spelled T-U-L-I-P, and each letter stands for a specific doctrine. And each doctrine is very, how do I put it, logically progressing from the previous point, starting with T, total depravity, even though uh, the Gospel Coalition um, on the website, um, their main um, page for the TULIP, doctrines of the TULIP, um, they spearheaded initially with uh, ir- irresistible grace, interestingly enough. And I kind of focused on um, total depravity, irresistible grace, um, uh, mostly in, in my uh, presentation. But anyways, starting with T, total depravity, or as more accurately um, said, total inability. Um, there's a lot of Calvinists would actually insist that it's better to say total inability, and we'll, we'll see why. And it's defined by the Gospel Coalition as, uh, it means that apart from any enabling grace from God, our hardness and rebellion against God is total. Everything we do in this rebellion is sin. Our inability to submit to God or reform ourselves is total. And we are therefore totally deserving of eternal punishment. And um, I would like to highlight, they said that our inability to submit to God, um, um, even in the light of the gospel, um, they believe that uh, even if the gospel is preached to a, uh, um, a sinner, a totally depraved person, which we all started out that way, um, they are unable to respond to that uh, gospel unless God uh, chooses them. And that runs into the second point, the U, which is unconditional election. And uh, the Gospel Coalition used the Westminster Confession in order to provide their definition. Um, I'll kind of, because they provided a, a long quote, and I'll kind of paraphrase, but it says that faith happens because of the unconditional election of God. Regeneration or rebirth comes before saving faith. One must be born again to believe, and one must believe in order to be saved. So God unconditionally elected those who will believe. It's not, the base, it's not based upon any, any um, merit of man. It's not based upon anything that man did. God chose them out of his own prerogative or mysterious um, will. Um, some people say it's arbitrary. You know, it doesn't really matter. Um, and then the next logical progression is the L, which is limited atonement. So if all people are totally depraved and God chooses um, unconditionally who will be saved, well, then that means that um, the atonement of Christ is limited in its extent. Um, and the definition from the Gospel Coalition is the doctrine of limited atonement affirms that when Christ died, he secured faith and repentance for God's elect only. So those who were unconditionally elected by God are the only ones that Christ's limited atonement is extended to. And that's very logical, proceeding from um, the previous points, which leads to the I, irresistible grace, um, which is defined by the Gospel Coalition is, as, uh, is God's work of renewal in our hearts, which necessarily brings about saving faith. So in other words, if God had chosen you when you were totally depraved unconditionally, um, and this limited atonement of Christ was extended to you, this grace that God showed you through that choice is irresistible. You cannot resist it. Um, if God chose you, you cannot thwart his plan, but you have to uh, submit. And um, 
They, the Gospel Coalition also further, further clarified that grace can be resisted until God wills to overcome resistance. As soon as he chooses, God is able to overcome your resistance. So they would say you can resist. Um, you know, they would insist that actually everyone resists. So basically but, uh, until God overrides or pressure yeah, overrides. Yeah. That's, that's kind of weird. Until, <laughs> until he unconditionally elects you. Yeah. <laughs> so... And I'm trying to be as, as faithful as, as, as possible. And maybe many of the Calvinists in the audience wouldn't define it this way. And that's, that's completely fair. That's completely fair. Um, I'm not claiming to represent all flavors of Calvinism here. Um, and for the perseverance of the saints is <laughs> one that I will least respond to because this runs into another doctrine that isn't necessarily uniquely Calvinistic. Um, and um, but the unique flavor of Calvinism that is presented here, I will discuss. And it's, it's a logical possession. So, you know, if we're all totally um, unable and God, therefore, unconditionally elected those who he chose and extended Christ's limited atonement to us. And this limited atonement was irresistible to us and we could not resist it. Well, then that would also mean that we would persevere until the end and God will cause us to persevere. It's linked to, you know, how John um, Augustine said, you know, God gave us second gracing to make sure that we're persevering. Um, and the doctrine of perseverance uh, does not mean that you are saved no matter what you do. So it does not mean that you can, you know, um, you're saved and then you deny Christ, but you're still saved. That's not what they're saying. That's not, and they would insist that that's not what the Bible teaches. They would say that's a mechanical understanding of eternal security. Instead, they would say that perseverance teaches that you're secure because he keeps you and you won't make a ship and you won't uh, make shipwreck your faith because he is holding on to you. So that um, if God took you into his hands, nobody can pluck you from his hands. Um, nobody can take you out from his hands. And, so pretty much that, in, in, in short, is, is TULIP, um, total inability, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints. And bef before we dive into, like, each one thoroughly, I do want to, like, just, like, for the sake of, you know, keeping it fun, I want to kind of state my stance on the TULIP and see if awesome. my opinion changes awesome. after after the, you know, at the end of <laughs> the episode. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because... Um, you know, like you were saying, like you were mentioning that you're not an expert on this, but I am like even no. less, I am even less of an expert on a lot of this stuff. So I'm not trying to say that, you know, my opinion is yes and amen. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a podcaster here. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the president. <laughs> I'm not the president of Gospel Coalition or any of those guys. Um, Thankfully, you're not president either. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, no. He's, <laughs> he's got more issues than I do. Um oh, Lord well, not, acor God, not, awesome. not according to total depravity, not according to, you know, yeah. <laughs> just as bad. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I mean, he is, he is depraved, you know, as all, as all people. Yeah, but well, we'll who would you rather have? Is. Who would you rather have, Trudeau or, or Biden, man? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Hey, um, wow. That's crazy. That's a crazy question. To be honest... Biden, because at least I know this guy isn't, how do I put it? We know his record a lot more. He has like a what, 40 something year political history as a senator. Yeah, 48, and we know yeah. what his, yeah, we know what his leanings are politically. Whereas Trudeau, you know, he was a high school drama teacher. Yeah, sure. He's the son of Pierre Trudeau, but um, who used to be a prime minister in Canada and was a massive admirer of Fidel Castro in Cuba. But, um, Justin Trudeau came out of nowhere and uh, very deceptive. And majority of the people are enamored of him because of his so-called good looks and um, <laughs> charisma like a, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a video of like people saying like they just voted him because of his smile. They liked his smile. They liked his good looks. And, you know, he promises everything that appeals to the flesh, like, you know, legalization of marijuana and all that stuff, you know, which, you know, that's another debate about, you know, whether, you're libertarian in your views yeah. of politics, but whatever. Yeah, join us next um, episode of Potter's House, marijuana, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, man, actually, I take that back. I don't know who I would prefer, man. <laughs> I prefer the Lord Jesus Christ, man. Stop. Amen. Lord Jesus, please return. <laughs> I'm done. Amen. And for the, I don't, I'm pretty sure you mentioned this at the beginning, but for those people who didn't catch it, uh, Tim lives in Canada, so that's that's why I asked. Yeah. Between yeah. Trudeau yeah. and uh, uh, Biden. Canadian here. Canadian here with my boots and sorries. And, and your beans too. Um, <laughs> I catch yeah. them all. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, so, uh, so, oh, total uh, or a tulip. All right, that's where I was. Um, yeah. 
so it's interesting because you mentioned that it's it's kind of a progression, right? From T U L I P, it kind of builds upon each other. Uh, but by my alignment um, with with Tulip, kind of works like from the outside in. So, for example, uh, total depravity. I I I I believe in like total depravity slash inability, and then perseverance of the saints. Those those are two things that I I, I personally believe. Now, so that's the T and the P, right? The 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 out the outside parts. Now let's move one in. Right? We have the U and we have the I. We have unconditional election and irresistible grace. Now these two things, I see where in Scripture people can argue them, and it makes sense to me. And I don't blame people for believing this. And I maybe believe a little bit of it, but I I, I cannot fully align myself to to the U and mm-hmm. the I, even though it sort of makes sense. And I'm like, okay, that I, I see where they're going with this. I would yeah. not you know, get offended. I don't have a problem with it, you know, but I, I can't align myself with it. Like I do the T and the P. Now we get to yeah. the L and this is the interesting one. This is when we're talking about a little bit off air, but I have a big, and I'm sure a lot of people, especially a lot of people in yeah. outside of the Calvinist or you, we were in saying a lot of uh, Calvinists, they're, they're four yeah. point Calvinists because yeah. they do not yeah. agree with limited atonement because yeah. saying that Christ's uh, death and resurrection is only limited to the elect is like, yeah, like borderline. Yeah. I guess I don't want to. I don't want to say borderline heresy because there, I I have good friends who are Calvinists too. But it's something that is very. It's like a tough pill to swallow. And yeah. we. Yeah. And I think this is the one point of Calvinism that has probably the least amount of biblical support as opposed to the other four, which mm-hmm. is why I think it's it's the most controversial of the of the five. But so that's where I stand. T and P, I'm for you and I sort of but can't fully align myself with and then i'm i'm against the l so let's go i'm I'm ready to go i'm ready i'm ready to be convinced (laughs) that's that's awesome no that's awesome man hey hey, i feel like most people are within those camps um uh i actually i mean i i I stood for the tu and i before um i changed on that um um definitely did not stand for the l and i didn't stand for the p because you know the good old romanian theology like uh you're always so scared that the sky is gonna fall on your head and you're gonna oops lose your salvation you know? yeah like, you're so scared that you're gonna you're gonna get cut off on traffic you know yeah flip a guy and you're off, gonna crash down and and go to hell. Sudden, yeah oh shoot you're done yeah. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> and, and 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 though i do have my views i do have my views on 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 apostasy and things like that but i don't think I don't think, think that scripture affords a view such as like, oops, you lost your salvation, as if like you lost something out of your pocket. You don't lose your salvation like that. <laughs> if you do lose your salvation, if anything, there would be a progression to it. But anyways, um, so yeah, in starting, um, that's awesome, um, uh, Marcus, because majority of people would actually fall within exactly those parameters that you yourself outlined there. And, um, and so... Let me see where I can start here. So a majority of myself, like I, I, I responded mostly to total inability because I believe that that's where a lot of the issues start out. But um, before I actually start with TULIP, I'd like to provide a few like definitions. So there's two words that are very, very vital in Calvinist theology. One of them is sovereignty. Um, a lot of them will say that, you know, when they're defending Calvinist theology, they're defending, you know, the sovereignty of God. They're defending the glory of God. And, you know, who doesn't want to align with that? Like, yeah, no, I believe God's sovereign. And they're like, oh, well, when you got to believe Calvinism, you know, it's like, oh, shoot, like, what do I do? <laughs> so their definition of sovereignty was very much um, influenced by how Cal, uh, sorry, Augustine saw sovereignty. And they believe, um, again, quoting from a Calvinist source, the sovereignty of God is the same as the lordship of God, for God is the sovereign over all of creation. And I would agree. And they continue, they say the major components of God's lordship are his control, authority, and covenantal uh, presence. His control means that everything happens according to his plan and intention. Authority means that all his commands ought to be obeyed. Presence means that we encounter God's control and authority in all our experiences, so that we cannot escape from his justice or from his love. When theologians talk about divine sovereignty, they usually have the first of these in mind, his control. Indeed, the Bible teaches that God controls all things, according to uh, the gospel coalition and they very much highlight that point of control god is very meticulous in his control some theologians i believe piper and macarthur said that you know even if one molecule in the universe was was uh, uh, free to do you know something outside of god's uh, sovereignty or, or control um everything would collapse everything would not work and it would just be like you know a domino effect of everything collapsing which in my opinion is a very low view of god's um uh 
uh, uh, all-powerful nature, you know, his omnip omnipotence, as if, you know, a little molecule can thwart God's um, ability. Um, and I reject that definition of sovereignty because sovereignty does not mean meticulous control of things. The traditional view of sovereignty, um, uh, as understood by all humanity throughout time, including Christian theology until it was hijacked, is that God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, since he's the absolute ruler and power over all of creation and existence. I love a quote from A.W. Tozer where he said that God in his sovereignty um, decided to give man free will. Any God less sovereign than that would be afraid to do so. Just think about that for a second. God does not need to control meticulously every molecule in order for him to be sovereign. He can if he wants, because he's all-powerful. If he wanted to, he could have. But at the same time, God can still accomplish his plan without having to control meticulously every molecule in the universe. Another uh, word that I need to define is predestination. And um, John Calvin, in his Institutes of Christian Religion, defined it as, by predestination, we mean the eternal decree of God by which he determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. All are not created on equal terms, but some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation. And accordingly, as each has been created for one or other of those ends, we say that he has been predestined to life or death. This is what's known by modern day um, Calvinists as double predestination. And majority of, or a large part of Calvinists don't hold double predestination. They don't, they only believe that God predestines individuals to salvation, but they don't believe God predestines people to damnation, which in my opinion is um, a bit of a, a blind eye towards the logical conclusion, because if God did predestine people to salvation, well, then that means his neglect of the others. Yeah, it's mean. automatically damnation, yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, you know, but, you know, I'll offer them that benefit. And not only that, but if God really does meticulous, meticulously control everything, and he meticulous, meticulously caused or ordained that man to fall into sin, um, well, then he kind of did ordain their damnation. Um, uh, whether you want to use, you know, vocabulary or semantics to get around that as much as possible. Uh, you can't avoid that logical conclusion. John Calvin even said um, that how it, and this isn't a direct quote, this is a paraphrase. He said, how is it, it is possible, and he, I meditate upon this every day, he said, that God is able to be responsible, or, or not responsible, uh, to cause the evil and the fall of man and every sin, but yet not be accountable or consider the author of sin is a mystery to me that is beyond my knowledge. And he's like, man, I, I think about this every day and I just don't know. It's a mystery. It, well, I don't think that happened. My, our definition of predestination, predestination is God has prepared a destination for an individual or group of people. God could have done this beforehand and is usually described in scripture as having predestined according to his foreknowledge or predestining before the foundations of the earth. He also talks about having predestined us to adoptions as sons. And the question is, who's us? And did God predestine us uh, uh, to salvation or was, anyways, we'll get into that. Um, so to kind of uh, set myself up, I believe absolutely in God's sovereignty. I believe absolutely in God's and predestination. That is a very biblical doctrine. It's found in the pages of scripture. Um, however, what it is meant by predestination, uh, I don't believe it's meant by predestination in the sense of um, uh, God has predestined some people to salvation to neglect of others. What I believe it means is that God, before time, decided that those who believe in, those who will have faith in Christ and will respond positively to the offer of the gospel will be the ones whose ultimate destination will be in heaven. So he didn't choose who will believe. He just chose that those who will believe will be saved. That, and he prepared for them the destination, which is in Christ. We can uh, go through that in Ephesians 1, and I believe in my notes I did prepare that. Hey, everyone. Uh, future Marcus here. Um, I'm going to stop this episode right now just because we've kind of hit close to the hour mark. And um, believe it or not, this episode actually went a total of three and a half hours um, as we continued. But I want to stop things here right now because um, we'll save it for next week. The rest of it, basically, you know, we have we had the introduction on Calvinism and next week it's going to be uh, the tulip, right? The five different components of Calvinism and we're going to use that. 
um, episode, and that's going to be where um, Tim's going to explain each and every single one uh, in somewhat in depth, and uh, he's going to share his opinions on that as well. So, uh, one quick little thing. Uh, so, as we continue to record this current episode. Uh, it went for another two and a half hours, and uh, we actually lost the last 50 minutes of the audio. It, Zoom, as you can tell, even the audio uh, from this episode was kind of messed up and distorted, and I tried for like an hour to figure out the equalizers and the frequencies, and I did the best that I could to make it um, as understandable as possible, but uh, for some reason, the last 50 minutes is completely gone, so... We lost Irresistible Grace, we lost Perseverance of the Saints, so because of that, we actually re-recorded uh, the tulip portion of the um, of this topic, and uh, I tried to make it short, an hour, um, ended up being two hours, so uh, stay tuned for next week, we're going to have a two-hour episode with Tim and myself, uh, mostly Tim though, explaining each component of Calvinism uh, somewhat in depth, I'll ask some questions, um, questions that most Calvinists have for for the arguments that he's going to present. So stay tuned for that. That'll be exciting. I know this was a little bit of an introduction and, uh, you know, thank you for your patience, but next week should be really good. So stay tuned. Uh, I'm going to keep it pretty short. You guys know Instagram, The Potter's House, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, that's where we're at. Leave a a review, rating, written review, and then also the website if you still want to order that shirt. So thank you guys for being patient. Thank you guys for uh, the excitement that you showed for, um, you know, this, this episode coming out and, uh, stay tuned for next week as we continue to dive into this topic, somewhat controversial topic of Calvinism. And, uh, we will, we will get there when we'll get there. So thank you guys so much. And, uh, we'll see you next week.